Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon to everyone. My name is Ephraim. For those who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to share the word of God with you this afternoon, and I have been looking forward to doing so. So the guys prayed earlier, it's the Diamond Jubilee, 60-year reign, and I can see that everyone have, have made a great effort to wear the red, white, and blue today, like myself, and, and really celebrate the Diamond Jubilee. Well, I think that um, you don't have to feel a way that wasn't a dig because it's generally um, pretty typical of our kind of response to the monarchy, I guess and maybe to the Queen, but maybe by the end of this message, we will um, have some additional considerations that may influence our thinking. And so, let's consider the meaning of the Jubilee to us as we get ready to jump into God's Word. Um, Now, am I good to start? You saying? Cool. Amen. So, let's just pray and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness toward us. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have liberated us through Christ. You've made us your own. Um, That, Lord, you have caused us to reside, if not be born into this country, into this nation, Lord, where we enjoy many privileges and benefits. We recognize that's the work of your hands. And, Lord, as we consider our place here and now and um, our relationship to you, our relationship to the monarchy, the government... And um, Lord, really just consider um, ourselves as your children who are to represent you, Lord. We pray that you would um, open our eyes, um, open our ears to hear, Lord, open our hearts, Lord, to receive what you would say and that we would be encouraged and strengthened in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So it's the Diamond Jubilee and... um, Pastor Rob shared a few statistics with regards to the, the Queen, her reign, and even a quote from her, her most recent speech um, for those who are in government. And I think that there is something for us to consider with regards to the Queen and her role and how it relates to us and our place under God. So... We see that the Queen's title, her official title, is Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. That is the Queen of England's official title. For some of you, that might come as a revelation that they're even talking about the grace of God in her official title and the fact that she is the defender of the faith. Mark mentioned the fact that we have historically been regarded as a Christian nation. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, that doesn't mean that everyone born into, as, as a British individual is a Christian by reason of birth. 
course not. It's never meant that. The fact of the matter is we're all born in sin. But constitutionally and governmentally, there has been prominence and pride of place given to the gospel. And so what we're seeing here in the, the Queen's title is a reflection or a kind of throwback to that era when in this nation the gospel was taken seriously. Now, the Queen was born in 1926, so how old would that make her? Any mathematicians? 86? That's a lot of years, 86 years old. And evidently, actually we see that the queen has had quite an instilling of the gospel in her own life. Look at some quotes from her queen's speech at the end of 2011. You know the Christmas Day speech, everyone sits down at lunch and the queen comes on the telly and everyone turns over. Well... This is from her speech last year. Now, I, I was going to read a lot more of it, but I'm just going to give you the abbreviated version. You can go Google transcript Queen's speech 2011. You'll find it. Yeah? God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. This is from the Queen's speech last year that she made herself by her own choice. Now you have to understand that the role that she has in government, no one's trying to back the Queen talking this kind of talk. In fact, her detractors are saying that one of the things that needs to change about the monarchy is she shouldn't no longer be called the defender of the faith. You may have heard some years ago Prince Charles say, well, I regard it as defender of faiths. Plural. So the queen has pressure and influence upon her to deviate from this kind of talk. But she hasn't. And that is evidently by her own choice and conviction. Listen. Also from the speech, forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Now, the cynical among us, of which... I tend to be generally anyway, we'll be like, okay, well, which God is God then? Because anyone can talk about God. Everyone talks about God. And, and this forgiveness, what is it, just a, a, a human thing that's supposed to make our life better? This is how she concludes the speech. It is my prayer that on this Christmas day, we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. It's no secret that the Queen has a personal faith 
and a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's no secret. Now, unfortunately, I'm not on them levels where I fellowship with the Queen <laughs> to be able to testify to you, you know, what her walk is like as a disciple. <laughs> I'm not on them levels, but fundam- not yet. Thank you, sister. <laughs> Amen. Lord help us. If I ever get to them levels, right, it's a problem. <laughs> but this is the queen's conviction. This is the position that she has chosen to hold. In fact, I read somewhere that the queen isn't looking quickly to give up the throne. She's 86 years old. Now, right about now, she's like 20 years over retirement age, right? She should be looking to sit down with her corgi slippers on. No, she probably, she loves her corgis, isn't it? So she wouldn't have corgi slippers. But she should be looking to put her feet up right now and just be chilling. But she's still very much actively serving this country. And it may be that one of the reasons she's not quickly looking to hand over the, the position of monarch to Prince Charles is because Prince Charles don't evidently share those same Christian convictions. I would encourage you to go and look at that speech in further detail. It's definitely something to look at. And so the the Diamond Jubilee, now I want to quickly, even before I get into the message, I want to quickly give you three reasons to give thanks. Three reasons to give thanks on this Diamond Jubilee. This is the bonus material, but I thought I'd throw it in first. Yeah? The first reason is, very simple, because God said so. God said so. First Timothy 1 to 4. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God said we're to give thanks for the queen, as well as to pray for her and make intercession for her and all those in authority that we may lead a quiet life and it may contribute to the promotion of the gospel. Amen? Well, so, God said so. We see, as I mentioned, a second reason is because she has a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That is a reason to give thanks. It is highly influential whether we choose to acknowledge or accept that or not. A third reason, because sovereign God made her queen. God put her there. Romans 13, particularly verse 1, first of all then, sorry, my bad, Romans 13 verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God 
And those that exist have been instituted by God. All authorities that exist have been instituted by God, including our Queen. And so we give thanks to God for the work of His hands. We give, the scripture says, we're to give thanks in all things, not for all things, but in everything we give thanks. And so there's three reasons why we're able to give thanks on this Jubilee extended weekend. And they're p- apart from the obvious reasons of an extra few days off work, if you're blessed to have that. So, in addition to the fact that this Diamond Jubilee is ordained and instituted by God, it speaks to us of God's jubilee. It speaks to us of God's jubilee. When we consider the sovereignty of God, installing the queen, sustaining her for the 60 years that she has reigned, we recognize that this speaks volumes to us in so many ways. And it definitely reminds us of God's jubilee. We could say that this diamond jubilee indirectly is God's jubilee because he's orchestrated it, right? But furthermore, we recognize that the queen would have no jubilee if God didn't have one. The queen is a ruler. God is the ruler. And he has declared his son king of kings and lord of lords. King of all kings and lord of all lords. So if we're going to celebrate a jubilee for you know, commemorating the reign of our queen 60 years, what about Jesus' jubilee? What about the jubilee of God? Turn with me to the book of Daniel, if you will. Turn to chapter 6, if you will. And as you are turning there, let me give you a summary update. The book of Daniel stresses the theme of God's sovereign power and supreme authority. That is fundamentally the central theme of the book of Daniel. God's sovereign power and supreme authority. In chapter 1, we see by his power that he ushered Israel into exile. And so we meet Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, also known as Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names that they were given. And God kept them as they entered into exile. In chapter 1, he gave them a position of prominence, even though they didn't compromise their integrity, their holy integrity and their identity. They were in a new land under new government. And what would ordinarily happen in that situation is when a country conquers another or a kingdom conquers another empire, they will strip them of their identity, one of the ways being 
by taking away their religion and imposing their religion on the exiles, the captives. Hence them being given different names. Because the idea was to strip them of their Jewish names which had reference to God. When you hear El at the end of a name, it's speaking of an abbreviated form of Elohim. It's, it's a reference to God. Belteshazzar, we are told in Daniel, is the name of their God. And so it was an intentional effort to rid them of their religious identity. And yet God kept them. In chapter 2, we see by reason of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that troubled him. It troubled him and he wasn't letting no one off the hook. I need to know the interpretation. And in order for me to know that it's the real interpretation, you need to tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. Try bluff me. And they couldn't do it apart from when the Lord gave the revelation to Daniel and he went before Nebuchadnezzar. And it demonstrated that God in his sovereign power and supreme authority is the discerner and revealer of human hearts. He knew what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He knew what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind whilst he slept. And yet, from the interpretation of the dream, it also demonstrated the fact that God is in control of future events. He's in control of all future world events. And so we talked about these successive empires that would rise and fall. And the last empire, one which would be mixed of iron and clay, would be crushed by a huge stone that emerged and, and smashed it to pieces, smashed the whole statue, head of gold, silver, bronze, iron and clay, smashed to pieces, representing the successive world empires from the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians to the Greeks to the Romans, even up to what we have today. You see, the Roman Empire still exists. The EU is the Treaty of Rome. That's the official title of the covenant that binds the European Union together. And yet we see that the European Union is not made up of purely Roman, historically Roman um, empire nations. So it's a mixture of the iron and clay. And the final successive world dominating empire, or should we say kingdom, is that of the Messiah who will come and smash everyone to pieces and the, the rock consume the whole earth. You see, God is sovereign. He's supreme in power and authority. And right now, man's got a little bit of leeway. But as I say in Jamaica, free paper soon bun. Time will soon finish for man's leeway the freedom that is enjoyed by man to want to resist God and ignore God and defy God and rebel will soon be over. And Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom. Or should I say complete the establishment of his kingdom because we are heirs of his kingdom, right? In chapter 3, we see 
God's sovereign power demonstrated over the elements. So Nebuchadnezzar tried to big up his chest, literally. He said, okay, I had a statue of gold and silver and, and, and iron and bronze. and No, I'm going to make a statue of complete gold to show my defiance of God. And when you hear the sound of the music, bow down and worship. You could just hear the singers. Bow down and worship him. Blasphemy. And the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, no, we're not doing that. What? What do you mean you're not doing this? We don't even have to answer you concerning this matter. Because furthermore, our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. We won't bow down. So they... Nebuchadnezzar heated up the furnace seven times hotter. I mean, it was already a furnace, right? <laughs> threw them in the furnace. Even the guys that threw the boys in the furnace got killed. It was so hot. And they were in there. And Nebuchadnezzar looked. He was like, whoa, did we not throw three into the furnace? How is it I see four? And one who is as the son of man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are you there? Yes, O king. And so we see God demonstrate his supreme power over the elements. The fire did not touch them. They came out, they didn't even smell of smoke. <laughs> Can't touch this. You know where Hammer got it from. And so we see God's sovereign power consistently just being reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. Chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. He has another dream. A tree representing him and his kingdom. And the fact that the tree got cut down. And Nebuchadnezzar was brought low. And he was out in the field like a beast. Literally, with hair growing so thick, it was like feathers. And his nails so long, it was like claws. And he was there for a season. And then the Lord brought him back to his senses. And after that, he came and he said, truly. Truly, the God of heaven is God. God humiliated Nebuchadnezzar. And what did he demonstrate? You know what? Nobody cannot cross him. Not a single man or a single woman. Nobody cannot cross him. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> now, you, some of you are thinking, like, what in the world is that about? And why are people laughing? Of course, it's a biblical truth. Nobody cannot cross God. But if you just type that in on YouTube, nobody cannot cross him, you'll see why it's so funny. But it's the reality. Nobody can cross God. Nobody can test with God. And in chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, he learnt the hard way. He was there having a party. He, he, he got the Jewish um, um, utensils that were from the temple and started drinking and, and cavorting with them. And all of a sudden, there's a hand on a wall. Many, many tekel. Of fasting. 
When I was growing up, <laughs> and I heard that phrase, now, obviously, I'm, I'm of a Jamaican background, right? And so if somebody in my family said, why are you fasting with that? It meant, why are you interfering? Why are you, why are you being fast and involving yourself in something that don't involve you? So when I heard many, many tackle fasting, in some translation it says, you fasting. I thought, I don't know what that means, but it obviously can't be good because a man's fasting himself in something that don't involve him, don't concern him. And they didn't understand. And so they brought Daniel. And again, God demonstrated his sovereignty. Daniel gave the interpretation. And in giving the interpretation, it was clear that Belshazzar had overstepped the mark. By the end of the chapter, he was dead. God miraculously disrupted human affairs and intervened, making his will known and executing judgment. Not having to answer to anyone. He's God. This has got to be one of my favorite books of the Bible. You can tell, and I'm telling you, I just love it when God bigs up his chest. I do. And then we see in, in the chapters leading up to chapter 6 that there is a, a phrase that occurs three times. A phrase that occurs three times. In chapter 2, verse 21. And I'll just take it back into the... Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Who does? God. He removes kings and sets up kings. You see, they are rulers. They are a ruler. God is the ruler, the ultimate. There is none like him. He gives wisdom to the wise. We see again... In Daniel 4.25, that you shall be driven from among men, this is when Daniel was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. It amazes me that artists these days have the the, the audacity to want to try and compare themselves to God. You have Jay-Z who has called himself Jehovah. You had, I don't know who remember, I can't even remember who done the song. Who runs this, who runs this world? Was it Rihanna? Beyonce? Like, who do they think? Do they even need to ask that question? Who runs this world? The Most High rules the kingdom of men. He runs things, and things don't run he. The same verse from Daniel 2.21 is stated again in chapter 5.21. That God changes the times and seasons... He removes kings and sets up kings. 
God runs things. He is sovereign. He controls the kingdom of men. You're thinking about your boss at work? God's in control. That person in the housing office? God's in control. That, that person at the supermarket that just really got your goat the other day? God's in control. The job's worth that won't give you your parking permit? God's in control. And the reality is that God does, by his divine and supreme ordination, allow things to happen that we would consider to be bad, quote-unquote, or off-key. But he's in control. And none of those things are beyond his control, and none of them are beyond his wisdom and power. And they all happen for a very good reason. We're familiar with the cliche, everything happens for a reason, right? Well, it's true. And it's biblical. Because God is sovereign and he's in control. So, we get into Daniel 6. And this is the center of the book of Daniel. 12 chapters, it's right there in the middle. And... It's the first time that we see Daniel's life is directly and personally threatened. So, the stuff that went on earlier, the threat was first of all against the, 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 the wise men and soothsayers and magicians and so on. And then it was Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And now, on this occasion, and this only occasion, we see Daniel's life directly and personally threatened. In this chapter, we see God's sovereignty over creatures and absolutely any circumstance. But above all things, this chapter speaks to us so heavily with regards to the fact that Jesus Christ is God's jubilee. Jesus Christ is God's jubilee. So let's just take a walk through this chapter as we look at Daniel as an example or a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Like a prototype. So these things that Daniel goes through speaks to us of Christ in advance. Yeah? Let's just walk through. So, looking from verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel was one of three presidents and he was outstanding among them. And being outstanding among them, he was raised to prominence. The king was going to put him over them and the whole country as the ultimate president underneath him. Okay. 
consider this. In Luke 19, let me give you the reference. We see a similar scenario with Jesus. He came and took on the likeness of sinful men. He came into this world, John 1 tells us, and he lived among us. And he was rejected by his own. They did not know him. And yet, in between the time of him coming and living and being rejected, there was a point at which there was a grand acceptance. There was a public acceptance. And we see that reflected in Luke 19. And as he rode, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so, like Daniel, Jesus' prominence was seen among men. And they were wanting to make him, in that instant, their ruler. They're thinking he's riding into Jerusalem to take over. Jesus is coming in with the mandem and no one's going to be able to touch him and he's just going to run out the Romans and rule Israel. That was their consideration. That was their thinking. Daniel 6, verse 4. And it would probably be helpful to you if you just kind of make note of the, the, the scriptures that I go to rather than turn there because we're going to be going backwards and forwards. So verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So based not the fact that he was, he would, he was a breaker of the law of his God, but because he was faithful to the law of his God. So because he's faithful to the law of his God, we will be able to catch him out. They schemed to take him down. They could find no fault in Daniel apart from trying to trap him because of his relationship, his evident relationship with the Father. John 10, 32. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? In eleven fifty three. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. So likewise, as it was with Daniel, so it was hundreds of years later with Jesus. Verse 6 of Daniel. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction 
that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the documentation and injunction. So in this, fundamentally, they passed the law against prayer. When Daniel knew, verse 10, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they figured... We'll watch, he's going to do it, and we'll go and catch him in the act. As Daniel openly communed with his father in heaven, as he openly communed with God, verse 12, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? That anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And so fundamentally, we see what's gone on here is, they have trumped up charges against Daniel. They have illegitimately found Daniel guilty legitimately of breaking the law. You see, it's illegitimate because there was never a law in the first place that said anything like that. But they created a law in order to catch him out. And therefore, legitimately by their trumped up charge, he was found guilty. Likewise, we see the same with Christ. The whole trial of Jesus Christ on at least 20 accounts was illegitimate. Jesus was tried at night. He was tried um, leading them to the Passover. There were so many reasons as to why Jesus' trial was illegal. And even in the midst of that trial, in Matthew 26, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death but they found none though many false witnesses came forth at last two came forward and so the testimonies upon which Christ was put up for trial were false trumped up testimonies 
Obviously, there's so much more to that. Verse 14, Daniel 6. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, the king loved Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Now, the king said that in a positive sense. But look, the same thing was said to Jesus in the negative. In Matthew 27, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. In verse 17, they brought a stone, laid it on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So Daniel was entombed with the lions and left for dead. A seal set upon the stone. He was as good as dead by any natural reckoning. And yet we see, firstly, in Psalm 22, Messianic Psalm, the whole Psalm is a foreview, a prediction of the plight of the Messiah even being fulfilled to intricate detail. In verse 13 it says, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And in verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. This is speaking of the Messiah. This is like a thousand years before Christ. This is how many hundreds of years, 400 years or so before Daniel. They sealed the stone with the king's seal, just as Pilate did in Matthew 27, when he sent a guard to guard the tomb. And they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone with Pilate's seal. Oh, the depth of God's word. Oh, the riches of the treasures of God's wisdom. You couldn't make this stuff up. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And so he runs and he cries out to Daniel, Daniel, are you there? Are you good? And Daniel cries out to the king, King, live forever. God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. The lions never touched him. And in verse 23, hmm. 
the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. How this resonates with the messianic psalm of Psalm 16. Again, a prediction of the Messiah. Psalm 16 verse 10. He trusted in his God. His God who would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. Daniel was raised up out of the den. He was raised up, not dead, untouched. And we see an illusion of the resurrection. And so, let me fast forward. Verse 26, the king's response. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now we see a similar statement being made in Acts 17 verse 30 by the Apostle Paul, where he states that God commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Based on what God had done, a command went forth. And the command concerning Christ was repentance. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way that Darius made this decree. And he goes on to say, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is speaking of your God. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you have repented and put your faith in him, this is speaking of your God. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. This is the God we serve. This is the sovereign God. And his Christ is our jubilee. And we see this chapter here in Daniel 6. Portraying so accurately the plight of Christ. Everything happened with Christ as with Daniel, did it not? Well, almost. There's a very, very key thing that didn't happen to Daniel that happened to Jesus. You see, if Jesus was thrown into the lion's den and that was the means by which God had determined that he would save humanity... Jesus wouldn't have come out. He would have got killed before he hit the floor, just like those accusers of Daniel, on whom the king executed judgment. It says that before they even hit the floor, that lions were so ravenous that as they dropped into the den, they had torn them to pieces. 
And that would have been Jesus. Because unlike Daniel, Jesus had to die in order to become our Jubilee. He had to die. Daniel was delivered alive. Jesus went through death. Jesus, the sovereign king, died. And he done so that we might experience God's jubilee. The jubilee being the forgiveness of our debts. You see, in the Old Testament, when it speaks about jubilee, it doesn't speak about jubilee in the same way that we do today. Just marking the reign of a monarch. There was more to it than that. In Leviticus 25, it talks about the 50th year jubilee being established amongst the children of Israel. And there were a lot of benefits that would be conferred upon the people that the people would gain at that time. And one of the main benefits was the fact that if they were indebted to anyone, if anyone had a debt that they couldn't pay and had become a slave or a servant, they were freed, they were released from that unpayable debt. You see, Jesus, the sovereign king, is our jubilee because through his death, unlike Daniel, through his death, our debt was paid. We had an unpayable debt, a debt that we could not pay. And when Leviticus speaks of jubilee and the freedom from debt, It is a complete act of God's grace and goodness. In the same way that God gave his son as an act of complete grace for us. And also, as part of the jubilee, it didn't end there. But also, the people of God received blessing that they couldn't contain and they didn't work for. They received an abundant blessing to the point where they didn't have to work for a year. They were at rest. And so it is with us in Christ. Not only is our our debt forgiven, but we have been graciously blessed abundantly. And we do not need to work in order to maintain our salvation and maintain ourselves because God's grace has been poured out upon us in the jubilee of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the Christ, the sovereign king, yes, he died, but he was raised, affirming our jubilee status, that we live in a perpetual daily jubilee in Christ because he is the eternal king. He is the king who is outside of time and space. So we don't have to wait for every 50 years to be able to say, praise God, we experience jubilee in Christ. He is the eternal king who was raised for our justification. And so truly, we have been abundantly blessed in Christ. And unlike the queen whose reign we celebrate as a jubilee, Periodically, we celebrate the reign of our Savior, our sovereign King, daily 
as we experience Jesus Christ, God's true jubilee. And so we're able to enjoy our jubilee weekend on a different level. Amen? (laughs) With a different understanding and insight and perspective because we serve the sovereign monarch, the ruler of all rulers, king of all kings, lord of all lords, who died for us so that we could be forgiven our debt and truly experience jubilee. And that is what is presented to you today if you are here and you've yet to put your faith in Christ and repent of your sin. If you are one who, like the opponents of Daniel, choose to maintain a position of opposition, choose to continue to rebel against God, then just as Daniel's opponents were consumed in judgment, so will you be. Who are we to try and defy the almighty God? What pride and arrogance. And yet, we see how God has so intricately and in such a detailed fashion demonstrated his gospel, even right there in the life of Daniel, chapter 6. How can we not be convinced of the goodness of our God and his sovereign power. Let me end with a few verses from Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for being our jubilee. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving Christ as our Savior, He who is the sovereign King, awesome in majesty and yet filled with meekness. We recognize that, Lord, we are able to celebrate, and we're able to celebrate because of your goodness because of your power and your authority. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you have been gracious to us in this country and given us a queen within our lifetime who has godly convictions. We're able to testify of your grace upon her and we're grateful, Lord. And yet, Lord, we are also all the more grateful for the fact that it reminds us of Jesus the Christ who is our jubilee. And we pray, Lord, that you would help every single person here today, Lord, to be completely surrendered to the, to, to the supremacy and the sovereignty of Christ. And also to celebrate 
in the jubilee of grace that we experience in our lives through him. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit in our hearts and lives. May we, Lord, be ever focused on you as we rejoice in God our Savior. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.